Amen. Well, let's lead what Jesus said. This is part of his great commission. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Because of that, you go, therefore, and this is what we're commanded to do. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Then Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And then he goes into signs that will follow. So we see in these two scriptures that are the basis of the commission. A commission means our instructions, what our mission is, why we're here. This is the heart of the Great Commission, which is we are to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, and notice baptizing is part of that commission. Now in, in Mark's account here, Mark says that, that, that we are to believe and then be baptized and be saved. Now, we'll mention this later on. I don't want to get off on this. There are those that believe that, that you are saved through baptism. And in a sense, they're right, but in a sense, it's not quite the way they mean it. But I don't want to get into that issue this morning. There are a lot of side issues we could get into. I want to talk about what baptism should mean to us, what baptism should mean to us and why it's just important, and why, what we should look back on if we have been Baptized, But notice there's an order here. Believe and who is baptized. It, it, baptism has become, in many circles, and I believe in, in, in kind of the traditions that this church was established in, it's become kind of a routine ceremony. It's something that we ought to do. And we do it here three or four times a year. And, 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 and well, I don't want to get into what we're looking at doing. Um, but, but it becomes kind of a ritual. Well, it's something we ought to do. And, and we ought to, but we ought to understand why we ought to do it. We ought to understand what it means that we did do it and what are the consequences of that. And what I began to do is when I looked into this, I, I began to see as, uh, that how baptism was treated earlier on in the church. Earlier on in the church, to do this, we're going to look at, um, at, at Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8 is a story of Philip. Philip was an evangelist. Acts chapter 8. Philip was an evangelist. And, and an angel of the Lord spoke to him and told him to go out on a road that headed from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he didn't know why he was going, he just on an assignment. And while he's going, he sees a chariot, that, that, a chariot that's being ridden by uh, a, 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 an Ethiopian eunuch. He was part of the queen's guard. He was an exalted leader in, in, her, in her court. And he's reading, he's come from Jerusalem. He's been on a pilgrimage there. So he may have been a converted Jew. He may have been a proselyte. We don't know quite what it was, but he was gone there for a feast. He's on his way back and he's reading the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Now, they didn't have a Bible like this. It, was, it would have been a scroll. And he's reading this and it says, and the Spirit of God told Philip to go up and, and begin to talk to him. And once Philip gets near to him, he hears him reading the prophet Isaiah. And so he starts a conversation and 
the, the eunuch says, come up and sit, in the, in, sit with me and explain to me what this is saying. Well, he's quoting out of Isaiah 43, which we'll talk about when we get into the, into the Christmas season, which is about the suffering, the Messiah. And he's, he asked this question, well, who is this talking about? I, boy, I could get off here, sidetracked here. And, and, and Philip begins to explain Jesus is the Christ. It's talking about the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus is the Messiah. And so he preaches that to him. And so, verse 34, we're going to pick up there. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of who does the prophet say of this, of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached or declared Jesus to him. And as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, there's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the an- he answered and said to him, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Stop right there. That is the foundation of the church. And Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're the great prophet. And then he says, the question of the ages, who do you say that I am? Because what other people think about Jesus doesn't matter. It's who you, who you say I am. And Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon the rock, the foundation of of that revelation, I will build my church. Isn't it interesting that what reached this Ethiopian was that the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here you see, he now has a revelation of who Jesus is, and he has accepted Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah for himself. And his first desire having been saved, is to get in that water and get baptized. So there was a sense of urgency that he had, now that he was in Christ, to be baptized. So he had an awareness from his background, from the culture. He had some awareness that we don't have, because I don't see this urgency in people to be baptized. I don't see an urgency in people... We look at it and say, well, I ought to do that. Is this something I should do? Yeah, you ought to do that. Well, you ought to eat your breakfast. You ought to, you know, you ought to take a bath. A lot of things you ought to do. But there's not an urgency, unless you haven't taken a bath in a while. There's not an urgency about some things. But there's an urgency that they saw. And part of my review of this, I discovered some, in history, a, a number of people. One of them was a group in England called the Anabaptists, which means baptized again. And, and what they, they believe, they just, because the church established a pattern, which many of us were raised in, which is infant baptism. And, and I was told, I don't remember it, that when I was a child at a certain age, my parents brought me into the church, and the pastor sprinkled some water on me, and then I went out, probably cried, and then I went out, and I don't know what they did after that. I don't remember any of that, all right? And I suspect that many of you, this is, was your experience, and so what these Anabaptists began to look at this, began to realize, wait a minute, that's not what baptism means, and I'm not getting into infant baptism today. 
what they began to say was, wait a minute, baptism is something serious. It's not just a ritual you have to go through to become part of the church. Baptism means something. And what it means is you are renouncing sin. You are declaring that you have been joined to Christ and, you're in, and you've been identified with His death, burial, and resurrection. And as a result, you're renouncing sin. The second thing they said is because of that, you can only do it once. As a result of that, they were persecuted. They were martyred. Some of them were tortured for this. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. If people were willing to be tortured over a doctrine of baptism, it must have meant something to them. It doesn't mean to us. They must have seen something and known something about baptism that we don't see and know because we're so casual about it. And I was talking to me. This, must, this study came from my understanding. And then I remembered Christopher Alam. You remember him? Yeah. Christopher Alam coming back next year. Amazing evangelist. I get daily, almost daily reports of these miracle services that he's having in, in, in East Africa, Mozambique and other parts. Tremendous things happening. And he told his story. And the first sermon he ever did here was why I preached the gospel. And he went through a series of events that he went through. But one of them was, because his father, he was raised Muslim. His father was a general in the army in Pakistan. And, so when, and he was an officer. And he got saved on the street by some student passing out tracts. And he was arrested. He was scheduled to be executed because he was now a Christian. And we had literally an Acts experience where the doors opened and an angel brought him out and saved him. Well, he met a pastor, an American pastor, who asked him, have you been baptized? And he said, no, I don't know anything about it. So this pastor, now listen carefully, because in the country where he was, it was a crime to be baptized, and it was punishable by execution. And this pastor, this American pastor, while he was over there, baptized Christopher at the risk of his life. And that's not the end of the story. This pastor was caught for having baptized Christopher and executed Here's an American pastor for a, 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 somebody he never knew before was literally really, gave his life up to baptize this young believer. What do they know? What do they see that we've missed? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to be able to begin to, to reveal some things to us of what this is to mean for us. Well, let's start out by what does is, what is, what is baptize mean? What does the word baptize mean? Well, it's one of those words that the, our English word baptize is actually the Greek word. And I was reviewing this this morning, I realized because we have some new believers that don't understand that, that when I talk about the Greek, why is he talking about Greek language? Because the New Testament was written in Greek originally. The original documents that the New Testament was written in is a form of Greek called koinine. I don't want to get into that. But it's Greek. So the, the best way to know what's written there is to go back to the Greek. And this is, what, well, this, so this is why I refer to this language. The, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and a lot of it was in Aramaic, which is, I don't want to get into what that is. But the reason I mention that is the, our word baptize is literally an Englishization of the Greek word, which is baptizo. Baptizo. The words, the root of this word, and the reason I'm explaining this so you can get a feel for it, it, the root of this word is a word 
that was used for dyeing cloth, for changing the color of cloth. And so they would take white linen, for example, and if they wanted to change it into a beautiful blue, they would have a vat of blue dye, and they would take the white linen, and they would lower it down into the blue dye, and because it was a dye, that blue dye now merged with the fibers of that blue, of that white linen, and because they were merged together, the color of the white linen took on the color of the dye, oh, this is a good preach, the dye that it was merged with. So the word implies something being dipped into, and what it's dipped into changes it into what it's dipped into. You, you following me? So the, the white linen, or what cover color it is, I mean, sometimes we've done it, we get something is stained, you can't get the stain out, so you dye it a different color, it covers over the stain, and that's what, never mind. So, the, 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 so the, it's dipped into something, and, be, and it becomes joined to what it's dipped into, and the character of the cloth that goes into it is changed into what the material was it was dipped into. Everybody following me? That's the root of the word baptized. It began to develop a meaning of being washed to make clean, to be changed. But the root of it is, is to be dyed into something different than you were before you were dipped into it. Okay. In the New Testament, though, it came to have on, it, it can have other meanings. And this is what I want to talk, I don't want to get off into this, but you've got to understand the way the word baptize is used. So it literally means to be immersed into and change into what you're immersed into. But it's used in other cases to be joined to something, to be brought into something, to be made one with something. Um, John the Baptist when, when Jesus is coming down to be baptized by him in the water, he looks up and he says, here comes the Lamb of God, slain from before the foundation of the world. I baptized you in water, because he literally baptized them in the Jordan River. But there's one coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. He's not saying Jesus would literally dip you into the Holy Spirit and bring you out. He's talking about the Holy Spirit's being joined to you, being, un- being brought into one with Him and His fire, His purifying fire. Jesus, over in... I'll give you the references. I'm not gonna, we're not going to put it up there. Over in, in, in Mark 10, verse 22, Jesus, when, the, when Peter and John, or James and John come, or actually in this account, their mother comes and said, you know, c- c- when you get to heaven, we just one little favor, when you get it, sit in, in your place in glory... Could, could you sit my one son on the right and my other son on the left? And Jesus said to them, that's not mine to give. And then he turns to the boys and said, are you able to, are you able to be baptized with what I'm going to be baptized with? Here he uses the word baptism not to be sprinkled with water or dipped in water, but are you willing to go into or through what I'm going to go into or through? Paul uses this word baptized, and we're going to look at it a little later on. Paul uses this word baptized very often in terms of uh, uh, the union we have with Christ and what that union means. So that's, that's essentially what the word baptized. Again, there's a lot of 
doctrines and teachings out there about, you know, different aspects of, you know, can you baptize an infant, all these. I don't want to get into that stuff this morning. Because what I want to get into is wh- why, why is this so critical? Why, why is this something that we should do? And, and so that we understand the meaning. And if I've done it, what did it mean that I did it? How does that affect me now? Do I need to do it again? Well, let's talk, as often I do when I'm teaching, about what baptism is not. It's not a religious ceremony. Well, it is in a sense, but it's just not some religious ceremony that we ought to do. It's just, you know, check it off on your box, get a certificate saying you've been baptized, Phew, I'd cross that one off, now what's the next thing I ought to do? It's not that at all. When you're baptized, you're not, you're not joining a specific church. You're, you're not, you don't get baptized next Saturday to join Faith Christian Center. So if you went somewhere else, you've got to be baptized there. You're only baptized once, and it has nothing to do with joining a particular church. It does have something to do with being joined to the body of Christ, the church, the body of Christ. But it's not a ceremony of entrance. Okay? We're going to learn that you were literally joined to Christ. What does it mean? What did you do? Baptism Baptism is a physical act that represents our state. This is listen carefully. These are in our notes that are that are available online. Baptism is a physical act. That's why you have to physically be here Saturday. And you have to physically get wet and come back up out of the water. It's a physical act. Why does God use physical acts to do things? We talk about it, we'll talk about it again. When we celebrate the Lord's table together, which we'll do next Sunday, why do we do that? It's a physical act that reminds us and gets into our senses some spiritual truth that God wants to make clear to us in our understanding. And because we're so sense-oriented, what we do physically affects what we experience. It's a physical act that represents our... Listen carefully. It represents our statement to the world and our statement to us. That I have died to who I used to be. When you receive Christ, Jesus said, in order to heaven, enter heaven, you must, must be, must, must be born again. There must be a second birth. And the birth is not of your body. It's a birth of your real nature, your spirit man. In order to, 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 to belong to God, to go to heaven, to, go, you, to be in God's kingdom, you must be born again. And the Bible says that when you do that, your old man, the old you, you're, you're, you're right to yourself. You're right to make, to, to your own will. You're right to, dis, to control your life. You're right to, to live your own life the way you want to be. That right, that man died. Because that man and woman is in rebellion against God because God's our creator. God made us. We live and move and have our being because He chooses for us to exist for His purposes and He loves us. And rebellion in the, in the Garden of Eden was man decided to live his life for himself apart from God. And we've seen what that's produced. 
So when you came to Christ, that old man, the person you used to be, died. And you were joined to Christ. That new man is of Christ. He's part of Him, one with Him. So you were joined in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. So water baptism is my public statement to the world and to myself that old person that got down on the water died when I went into the water, was buried, and a new person came up out of the water. Now, that doesn't make you a new person. That's a physical act that the broadcast of the world, that's what happened to me when I received Christ. And it's important that it's public. And this we're going to see why a little later on. That means I've died to my right to myself. Paul has to remind the Corinthians, who was so immature, don't you understand? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. That price was Christ's blood. You've been bought with a... You're not your own. And believe me, that's the price of freedom. We'll learn more about that later on. Not today, though. I've died to the world. To the systems of this world. To the philosophies of this world. Which is why it's so wrong for the church to get caught up in all the political issues the issues behind them may be legitimate, but we get part, you know, we get, somebody was telling me later, they were at a church this week, that, you know, the church, people left over Republicans and Democrats. You know, there are no Republicans and Democrats in heaven. They're just people. You leave the liberals here. And as Pastor Sam, you say, if you want to take them to hell, you, they burn off. You go to heaven, they leave, fall off. You go to hell, they burn off. So, You can't take them with you. So don't get so emotional about it. Why don't we get emotional about the things that are emotional to God because it's our flesh. Oh, I can't go there. Can't go there. So I've died to who I was before, my right to myself. I've died to this world, the system of this world and its ways. It gets better. That means I've died to sin. Can I sin? Yes. We'll talk about that later. But I've made a commitment that because I'm joined to Christ, I cannot sin. I will not sin. I've renounced it. I'm not going to play with it. It's a commitment I've made. Okay? I'm joined to Christ. Now here, listen carefully. This has been transforming my life. That means my, if I'm joined to Him first, my relationship with everybody else is only through Him. I do not have an independent relationship with my wife or my children. My relationship with everybody is only through Him. That puts Him first. Now some of you look at me like I'm standing on my head up here. Let that sink in. Just trust me on it. Okay. In Acts 2 verse 38, we're not going to put it up there. Peter preaches this wonderful message on the day of Pentecost. And he basically what he says to them, the substance of it is, the man you crucified a few weeks ago, that was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the realization of that, they cried out, what must we do? That's when you see there's true repentance. What must I do? And Peter's answer was, 
Peter's answer was, was to repent and to be baptized as a sign that a change had taken place in them. Because I'm now joined to Christ, I'm also joined to everyone else who is joined to Him. I'll let that sink in. If I'm joined to Christ, and there's only one, and you're joined to Christ, and there's only one, then I'm joined to you, and you're joined to me. This is the revelation that has got to hit the church. Paul uses a body as an example. I've got a big toe, one on each foot, isn't that nice, okay? Now, it has a different function than my nose, okay? But my big toe is joined to my body, and my nose is joined to my body. And even though they're about five and three quarters feet apart, they're still joined to the same body, so they're one just as my nose is one with me, my body and my toe is one with my body, that means they're one with each other. Because I don't get up in the morning and look at my feet and say, well, I'm feet, how are you today? Uh, you know, who are you today? They're my feet, so that it's me. If you, if, you, if you step on my toe, I hurt. Not my toe. My toe hurts, but because my toe's hurting, I hurt. So my identity is with every part of who I am. And here's the problem. We as members of the body of Christ see ourselves separate from one another. We have a relationship with Christ, but we stink with each other. That's a Greek word, by the way. <laughs> we have a terrible relationship with each other, and this is what grieves the heart of the Lord, because we're, He's just as much one with them as the, the person you're the maddest at. The person you're the most offended at. He's one with Him. That's Him. That's why Paul, Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? That wasn't all the believers in the world at the time. It was a small group in Damascus. But Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. And so baptism reminds us that not only are we one with Christ, we're one with each other. There's one Lord, one Father, one God overall, one Spirit, one baptism. We're baptized together into Christ. It's a public statement that should have an impact on us, on how I live and on who my life belongs to. As I was going over this again this morning, it, I don't know why I didn't think of this before. We already have an example of that. In fact, on November 17th, right? We're going to have another example of that. I've told you this before, but I, years ago I had a, I have a stepbrother. He's, gone, he's, he's passed on now. And he'd been living with his girlfriend for years. And we were visiting my mother, and I'm four years older than he was. And he, he pulled me aside one day and he said, John, that wasn't the, I had a nickname, I'm not going to tell you what it was. <laughs> he said, why did you get married? I mean, we're living together. I'm getting all the benefits. Why, why did you do it? I mean, he was serious because he didn't understand it. That you don't realize your life when you're living right before God, it's a testimony to people in ways you don't even know. 
they look at you and say, and, and they're asking questions you don't even know they're asking. So here, he didn't, we didn't understand the impact we were having on him. He said, why, why did you get married? Up to dawn of me, he was like, I loved her. No. Then I realized he's asking me why he was asked the question. And I said, I, 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 we, got, we, I, we married each other for the same reason you won't marry her. He looked at me. I said, because we realized in order for this to work, we had to make a commitment up front that no matter what came, hell or high water, and I'll tell you, in 51 years, they've all come. The hell and the high water's come. But what brought us through that, and there was a time when I was ready to go, and it wasn't her, it was me. There was a time when I was convinced that this was never going to happen, it was over, that this, it was, I don't want to get into the details now, I'll share them some other time. I was in a car, it was over. And the Lord brought back to me, listen carefully, He brought back to me the vow I made to her before Him. And what held me, what held me to, to her was not how beautiful she is, and she is. Because at that point, I was convinced this was going to be a life of hell. Not her. It was things that were going on in me. I was convinced my life was over if I did this. But I had a choice standing before the Lord. I'm either going to live out my vow to Him, to her in front of Him, or I'm going to break it and do what I want to do. And it was the strength of that vow, public vow, to her and to Him. And we weren't saved when I did it. But God took me at the commitment I made. I had no clue what I was committing to. We were, I was t- barely 21 years old. No clue. I won't tell you how old she was. None of your business. I'll tell you how old I am. <laughs> no idea. But listen, listen to this. But the strength of that vow by a 20-year-old kid who had no idea what he was doing, wasn't saved, but made it before God and other people, the strength of that vow, 20-some years later, is what held us together. I'm trying to show you the value, the critical, vital of a vow before God. And doing it publicly is an event that we can look back to to remind ourselves of the commitment we made 51 plus years ago. That's what baptism is. We loved each other before the ceremony. We had a degree of, we had a commitment to each other before this. We'd expressed our love. We wanted to be together for the rest of our lives. But something happened by making a public vow that sealed it, that became a strength of this union, because that's a union. In the same way, when you receive Christ, the Spirit of God joins you together with Him. And you can be joined together with Him and never be baptized. And you're still joined together with Him. But it's like my my brother, my stepbrother, 
who said, well, why did you get married? The question is, why do you not want to say that publicly? Why do you not want to make a public declaration that you died with Christ, you were buried with Him, and you've been raised with Him? A public declaration that you've been joined to Christ. And you're willing to be identified with Him. He's willing to be identified with you. He's given you His name. You're known as a Christian. You're identified in the kingdom of God as a son, a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Are we willing to be identified with Him down here? That's what it's about. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, because Paul lays it out here. Now, we won't take the time to go back, but I encourage you to do... This is one of the most powerful books in the Bible, because it explains, it explains what the gospel is, as only Paul could do it. Paul has just finished talking about the grace... In Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about grace, introducing grace as, is something that we receive by faith. Grace is something God did for us that was free, and we receive it by grace, by faith. He explains what faith is in Romans 4, verses 17 on through, about verse 20. And then in Romans 5, he talks even more about grace, and we're living in an age where grace is taught so, so freely and so easily, and it's good that grace is taught. And then in, in Romans 5, he, he talks about how much God loves us and what God has done for us and, and what grace has done for us. And he ends by saying that, that sin seems to be abounding and abounding and abounding, but, but, but when sin abounds, grace does much more abound. In other words, however far bad sin gets, God's grace goes beyond that. And if you were to look at the Greek word, it's a word that means to take a ball and to throw it way beyond something. It's like, it's like, when, it's like when, 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 when Tom Brady overthrows a receiver. I mean, way overthrows him. So grace overthrows your sin. Grace, you cannot sin beyond God's grace. You cannot get so bad, so far off, that God's grace cannot reach you. That's what was the end of Romans 5 was about. Having said that, he's now got to bring it back into focus. Because grace is taught out there today as if it means God's done everything for us and we just get to enjoy it, whatever we have, we have to do. You can live the way you want to live because you're covered by grace. I don't ever have to. There are literally people teaching out there, you don't have to confess your sin. I don't want to get into that, but obviously Jesus doesn't understand that because He tells us, to conf- he tells us that we need to repent of some things. In the book of Revelation... Jesus said it to John. So grace is being taught. Does that mean grace isn't real? No. Where's the balance? This is what Paul's doing in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? This is his response. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? So he's saying here, shall, shall we, if, 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 and this is what some people would, were saying back then and they're still saying today, well, if, if grace 
if grace is increased by my sin, then wow, I can make grace increase more. I can just sin all I want. And that just means grace gets much bigger. And Paul says, you don't understand grace then. Then, then you've missed it, what grace is, what grace did for you. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? See, we, and I've got to be careful, I don't have time to get into this. We've got to be, we think that because grace is free, it doesn't cost anything. Say, so, well, explain that one, Pastor. Christ paid for us as a free gift, and it's received by grace. But in order to enter into that, it costs you everything. Because to be joined to Christ, you have to die with Him, because He died. To be joined to Christ, you're buried with Him, because He was buried. I'm getting ahead of my... But He was raised from the dead. And if you're joined with Him, you're raised from the dead too, to newness of life. Here now, but also in the final resurrection. And I don't have time to get into all that. I'm getting behind here. Okay. Or do you not know that as many of us, verse 3, as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death? This means both being joined to Him, that baptism, and the baptism, the outward sign, the, the ritual, the physical immersion in water, is also the baptism He's referring to. See, they're not inseparable. Or they're not separable. Excuse me. They're one. Okay. I've got to move on. Verse 4. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So verses 1 through 4 say that now that we've been joined with Christ, we've been joined with Him in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Verse 5, if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. That's what I talked about earlier. That the body of sin should be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Before you came to Christ, you couldn't help but sin. We sin different ways, but you didn't have the power to break sin in your life because your nature was to sin. Because we were in rebellion against God. Oh, we could dress ourselves up and look nice. We could make ourselves look respectable. But our inner core was selfish. Even we did good things because what it meant about how good I was. So the core was still selfish. You could not break that yourself. God had to, that man had to die and God had to birth a new man in you that was born of his character, his nature, and of his image. Verse 7, He who has died has been freed from sin. So when your old man died and the new man was born in you, that new man does not have to sin. That was exciting. (laughs) In other words, your excuse is gone, I'm just human. If you're just human, you need to get saved. Because humans aren't going to heaven. That becomes an excuse for letting my flesh run loose. Now, I'm going to have to explain that somehow. Humans aren't going to heaven. You've got to be born again. I don't don't have time to get into this, John. Okay. Verse 9. Knowing 
that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion in Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, and the life that He lives, He lives unto God. Likewise, you also reckon or consider yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying in these verses is when you came to Christ, the old man died. Now, because He lives in you, you have the power to overcome sin. Not in your own flesh, not in your own efforts, but by the life of God that's on the inside of you. So you are freed now from the dominion of sin, the control, the authority of sin over you. Does that mean it automatically goes away? No, you've got to work against it, but you've made a commitment to do that now because you've been joined to Christ. Everybody with me okay? All right, good. Some of you are. Good. Okay. The old man, my living for myself and my purpose is that man died. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live by faith in the Son of God, I live by, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and who gave Himself for me. Paul can, elsewhere he says, through the cross I've been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to me. Because I'm joined to Christ, I no longer have a direct relationship with the world. It's only through Him because I'm joined to Him. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. So what he's about to say here is this. Before you came to Christ, you couldn't do anything about it. You could try hard, but you could not overcome it. Now that the old you that couldn't do it is dead, and a new you's been born, who's born of God, out of God's nature, you now have the strength and ability and the life in you to live a holy life for God. You still live in this flesh. So you've got the responsibility of taking authority over the flesh, but you now have the ability to do that, and the ability to choose to do that. So baptism is a reminder, is a public statement, that because I've died with Christ, I've been, that old man's been buried, I've been raised in newness of life, and that new man is like Christ. He does not have to sin, and does not want to sin. Because if you sin now, something bothers you. When you, before you were saved, it didn't bother you a bit. But once you're saved, it starts to bother you. Why? Because the life of God's on the inside of you. It's contrary to Him. I've got I to gotta go on. I've got to go on. And I've got to summarize. Verses 15 through 19 say that basically, now that you're free from the authority and power of sin, you choose... You choose what you present to your flesh. Am I presenting my flesh as an instrument of unrighteousness or am I presenting my flesh as an instrument of righteousness? You, you have the authority and power and responsibility to choose. So what does this mean? This means that by our baptism, we're making a public commitment to live for Christ as if we were one with Him because we are. What does that mean? That means wherever I go, He goes. Think about this week. Wherever you go, He goes. So before you go somewhere, He's going there with you, in you, because you're one. Whatever you say, He's saying, because you're one with Him. You're speaking for Him whether you're agreeing with Him or not. 
We used to say at the end of the service, wherever you go, whatever you do, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you are Him in the world that you go into. This commitment affects the way we live our lives. That means whatever we do, He's doing. So you may take Him places He doesn't want to go. And you may do things that are contrary to His character. But as you begin to realize that you are in Christ and who you are in Him, it changes what you want to do. It changes what you want to say. And it will affect where you want to go. This does not mean we're perfect. Just like I have not been a perfect husband to my wife. I never will be. She's not been a perfect wife to me. But there's a commitment there. That no matter when I fail, no matter whether she fails, no matter whether I fail Christ, there's a commitment. See, the commitment was established up front. You're not, you're not earning that every day. You made that commitment to Him. You're learning to live it out. Just like I'm still learning to live out the commitment I made to her 51 and a half years ago. Because it was established then. But it should affect our decisions and our lifestyle. Now I want to address two types of people here this morning, really three. If, if you're not in Christ, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you, you, can't, you, you, you can't be baptized until you do that. Because that's a, that's a representation of what it is you need to do spiritually. But I'm talking to people that have never been baptized. You're a Christian, you've come to Christ, but you've never been baptized you need to do it. But you need to understand what you're doing. Not doing because I said so. Because in your heart you now realize, I want to make a public... I'm ready to make a public, knowledgeable commitment of what I did last year, ten years ago, whenever it was you did it. But I want to, rep, I want to address the majority of people in here. And most of you have been baptized. If you were baptized by immersion in water and you understood what you're doing, you don't need to be baptized again. Just like if I've gotten mad at her about something, we need, don't need to go back, go to the front of the church, get a pastor there, and, and, and recommit our lives to each other. We need to forgive each other and go back to the commitment we made to live that out. So if you've been baptized before, you don't need to be, in fact, you can't be baptized again because you can't be joined to Him twice. Okay. What you do need to do is go back and remember that on a regular basis. And Lord, because I made a public profession of you by my baptism, I'm going to live that out today. And remember that. Okay. So what if I was sprinkled with water and had no idea what I did? Okay. If you had no idea what you were doing, how did you make a commitment? How did you make a commitment? And I'll leave that with you to decide. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I repent because I've had too casual a view of the importance of baptism. I've been baptized, we do it here, but I've not really recognized the power and the significance of it. And I thank you so much for the grace that's gotten my attention 
and begin to show me in my heart what it means. I pray for these people that are so precious to you. You gave your life for them. I pray, Lord, that you would help take this word that they've heard this morning and place it in their hearts and the Holy Spirit would give them an understanding of what they need to do and what they've done. For those that have been baptized, Father, in water, whether they understood it fully or not, help them to see now the significance of what they did. For those who've never been baptized, give them a sense of urgency, Lord. But not just because I said so, but because they know in their heart they need to do this. Father, we pray for that time next Saturday that the presence of your Spirit will be there in such a powerful way. Lord, as we hear and see what you've done in people's lives and what you're going to do, we need more desperately than we ever have before to walk in the reality that we are one with you, Jesus, that you live in us and we live in you, and that wherever we go, you go with us and you go in us. Father, now I pray for those that are here this morning that may never have invited Jesus into their lives.